Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew 21. And today is a special day of all days. Palm Sunday is what is traditionally called. It's the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And and today marks Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. That's why today is such an important day, because for the next seven days in the church is a a week of meditation, of prayer, of reflection, uh, of pondering the, the sacrifice and the suffering of our Savior. Now, next Sunday, when we gather, we will celebrate his resurrection. We will celebrate that he is alive. But today is a day that we must ponder in Scripture the true narrative, the truth of of his last seven days on earth as in that form before he ascends to heaven. And this last week before his crucifixion and before his resurrection, this day is marked with layers of, of royal imagery and disappointed expectation. When we look at the story of, of him entering into Jerusalem that day, he is entering in as a, as a king, a triumphant king. But mixed in with the celebration and the praise of him that day is also disappointed expectation of those who thought they knew what they were praising and they realized later it was wrong. This event, this triumphal entry, it, it, it's, it's recounted in all four of the Gospels, but Matthew's account alone references two animals brought to Jesus, a donkey and a colt, uh, as a more direct citation of Zechariah's prophecy, and we're going to look at some of that here in a minute. Yet what we'll see in the story is the divine orchestration of God's hand of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This was not an unplanned event, as many in Jerusalem that day thought it was. It was, a, it was an event that was planned from the very beginning of time. And God's orchestration of that day, of those events, are shown here as well. The Old Testament references that we'll look at today, uh, that they reassert the royal image of Christ. The imagery that we'll look at in the Old Testament, not just from the prophet Zechariah, but also from the history of the kings of Israel. We're going to see a connection there as well. The, the, these connections between the Old and the New Testaments, they, they actually show us this divine hand of God guiding all of human history to this moment. This moment of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is a culmination of all of human history and God's interaction with human history to the moment of salvation that is made possible through his son. And that's what is going to be happening here as we look at this, this day, this day of the final week of Jesus's life, this week of passion, this week of suffering, this week of death. And at the end, this week of resurrection, it's the pivotal week of all of human history. Let's not forget that. This week leading up to resurrection Sunday next week. This is the pivotal week of all of human history. Don't, don't just cast it aside. This is the week of salvation. The week when God the Father ushers in restoration of his fallen creation. He redeems his fallen creation through the blood of his son Jesus because of the events of this week. So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence in reading from God's word. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 10. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Mm. Let's pray. Father God, we pause at the reading of your word and, and the events of this narrative are, are, are events that we are very familiar with from childhood as, as we've studied and heard the story of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem that day, his triumphal entry as king in a humble state, riding a donkey. But Lord, there was praise and, 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 and singing of his name at that moment. And God, many who were singing that, they, they knew who he was, but many did not. They, they thought of Jesus as someone else. But, but dear God, today of all days, I pray that here in this place, you would cause us to, to see the truth in your word, that you would cause us to feel the emotion of that moment, that day where Jesus arrived. Lord, stir us up, I pray, to worship and to praise. Stir us up, Lord, to salvation through your son. Lord, this moment is for you and this worship hour is for you. We invite you here. Please speak to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. In verse 1, we read that things began in the Mount of Olives here. The Mount of Olives is the place where much of the events in the final week of Jesus' life will take place. Inside the city, outside of the city, the Mount of Olives is not an insignificant place. Much of the events here originate from the Mount of Olives and he's coming into Jerusalem here. Now, the Mount of Olives were first mentioned in 2 Samuel 15 as the ascent to the Mount of Olives. It is a place where the feet of the Lord will stand on the day of the Lord, that end day, that final day of judgment, our Lord will return to the Mount of Olives. We read that in Zechariah 14, verse 4. So the Mount of Olives is not insignificant here. It's interesting that this is where they begin. This final week of Jesus' life, they come to the Mount of Olives, and from there they launch into the city, and the different events of the week will come out of this base of operation or this, this place where prayer will happen, where different events of arrest and, and, and betrayal will occur. This is not an insignificant place. Now, it is in Jerusalem, though, that these events become what they are, that Jerusalem was a major major city, and it wasn't just a political center. Jerusalem was a holy city. It is a place where, where Jesus will bring both destruction and security. He will bring salvation. Jerusalem is a place where the beginning of salvation will occur. And today of all days, as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, let's remember that his arrival is royal. His arrival Arrival is significant, but it is significant because because salvation has come. Jerusalem is an important city historically, but more importantly, 
the, uh, theologically and, and biblically, Jerusalem is the city where salvation will happen. It's the place where sin and the power of Satan will be defeated. So Jerusalem is not insignificant. In Zechariah 14.9 we read, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. All of this is going to occur right here in the city of Jerusalem. It's an important arrival for Jesus to come here. And so when we look at verses 2 and 2 through 5, as he comes into Jerusalem, he says to his two disciples, he sends them into the city or into a village nearby. He's saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now, it's interesting here, these, these first couple of verses speaks of, of Jesus coming in and, and, and the donkey. And as much as I appreciate children's church and Bible studies for children, it seems like we want to focus on the donkey in the story, don't we? And, and people have written tomes of theological literature about what was the name of the donkey. And, and did Jesus ride a donkey or did he ride a colt or did he ride both? I mean, it's... This passage is not about the donkey, folks. Now, riding the donkey into the city of Jerusalem fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. Let's not belittle that. But the point of this text is not about the donkey. It's about the Savior, the King, who rides into the city. Now, Zechariah's prophecy here in verses 4 and 5 This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I mean, this is Zechariah's prophecy fulfilled here. Zechariah 9, 9 is, is fulfilled. That's, that's what's being referenced. The words of our Lord here in verses 2 and 3 show his authority over all events, his authority of telling his disciples, I want you to go into the village in front of you, Bethpage, and this is what you will find, and this is what you will do. So for Jesus, this was not an unplanned event. He knew what was going to occur. He instructed his disciples here. The words of our Lord here show his authority, not only over his disciples, but even over all events that led up to this moment in history. Events prophesied long before. He directs his disciples to go into Bethpage and what they will find there and how they are to ask for the donkey and the colt. And they do it. They obey him. And the word here in verse 3 is, as they come in and they ask for these, these animals, the answer is, the Lord needs them. Now, many of us in this room, if someone came to us and said, you know, the Lord has sent us to do this and we're asking this of you, how many of us would respond the way that apparently these people did? Okay, someone just said, the Lord needs these animals. Here you go. How many of us would say, now, now who are you? Why are you here? The Lord who? But there is a level here of authority and submission that begins even here as Jesus is sending the disciples to to find this donkey and this colt. There is a level of submission here, even from the owners of these animals. The Lord needs them. Here you go. They didn't understand exactly what was happening. They just knew that some strangers, these young men, uh, these disciples came and said, the Lord needs your animals. We're taking them. It's an interesting place here. It's an interesting event that Jesus is in authority and God's hand is at work here. 
Now, why is this happening? Because verse 4 tells us an interpretive clue. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And we read here, the prophet is Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet that God used to point to the coming day of salvation. But notice here in verse 5 what it says. It's the coming of your king. See that? Zechariah 9, 9 directly speaks to the coming of your king who is righteous and having salvation. See, if you flip over to Zechariah 9, 9, you're welcome to do that or take notes. Here's what Zechariah 9, 9 says, or maybe you can just look at Matthew uh, 21, 5 and compare the differences here. Zechariah 9, 9 says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But notice in Zechariah's prophecy, the focus here is on salvation. Your king is coming, righteous and having salvation is he. That's why the king comes. Not to establish a a royal dynasty or to establish a political empire, but the king is coming because righteous and having salvation is he. He is salvation. That's why he's arriving in Jerusalem, where salvation will be granted, where the beginning of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ will happen here. That's what's coming. That's why today is significant. That's why we sing praises to his name. Amen? Amen? There we go. But now the, the focus here on salvation can also be echoed if you're taking notes. In Isaiah 62, verse 11... The idea of salvation is echoed in Isaiah's prophecy. He says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So as as the king arrives, this was a common theme throughout all the Old Testament prophets as they were looking to this important day. It was not just a king has arrived, more importantly, your salvation has come. That's what Palm Sunday is about. It is about the king's arrival, but it's not just about royal accolades. It is our salvation has come. That's what we're singing praises about. Now, let's look here at verses 6 through 11. It's important to connect Matthew's narrative here in Matthew 21 with the prophets of old because their words explain what Jesus' purpose is on that special day. Jesus knows the divine purpose of why he's coming to Jerusalem. That's why he's directing his disciples. Although Jesus had been in Jerusalem many times, just think about this. Many people that I speak to are mistaken. They think that this is the first time Jesus arrived at Jerusalem. It's not. He'd been in Jerusalem several times throughout his life. We read about when he was 12 years old, his parents came to Jerusalem. You remember that? And then he got in trouble as a teenage 12-year-old boy and went and did his own thing and caused his mama's heart to fall. He'd been there several times in his life for ministry, festivals, uh, the Feast of Booths, uh, Yom Kippur, different kind of things. He would have been in Jerusalem several times in his life. But this particular day was the day that the prophecy was fulfilled in Zechariah and in Isaiah and in other places. It was the day that our Lord kept his promise that salvation would come. 
What today is that Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, is the idea, is the, is the truth that our Lord has kept his promise that salvation has come. But as salvation comes, there's going to be different kinds of people that react to this day. That's what we're going to see here in verses 6 through 11. Let's, actually, let's read first, 6 through 9 first. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Notice that. We're reading here really the, the, the first group of people and how they react, and we're going to see the second group here in a minute. The final verses of this passage show us that there's that there that there were different reactions to Christ that day, who witnessed his arrival in Jerusalem. What we see here is a last-minute preparation for the arrival of the king. Now that in itself is unusual. If the king arrives, there's a lot of preparation before he comes. As Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, folks, we see here in verses 6 through 9, 8, we get the impression here that there was an unexpected arrival of a king. There was little time for preparation. And so there was the spreading of cloaks on the ground. There was palm branches put out. But we also see here that there are high expectations of some in the crowd that were quickly crushed. Verses 6 through 7, we see that the disciples obey their Lord and they bring the donkey and the colt to him. And what do they do? They place their cloaks on the backs of the beasts of burden so that Jesus could sit down. They take off their cloak and lay it on there. Verse 8, most of the crowd also place their cloaks on the road before Jesus. So we're seeing the idea of taking off the cloak in two different ways here. Others lay palm branches on the road leading to Jerusalem. But why is there, what's the significance of the cloak? The cloak implies, the importance of the cloaks and the palm branches show something. Why do they take off their outer garment and lay it in the dirt to be trampled by a lowly donkey? Why, why would, how many of y'all would do that? Take off your coat and lay it on the ground for a, a donkey to walk on it. What? Jesus, that cost me a lot of money. I'm not going to do that. These people didn't question it. And clothing back then was much more valuable and precious than what we have today, folks. I mean, if you take off your coat and lay it on the ground for the donkey to walk over it, guess what? You can go down the street and get you something else within an hour. This was a sacrifice. The historical connection here that we see about laying down the cloaks, you can actually find in 2 Kings chapter 9... When Jehu, the commander, is anointed king by God's command, he sends, by, by Elisha the prophet, he sends people to Jehu to anoint him king, and it was a hurried event. If you read that in, in 2 Kings chapter 9, this anointing of Jehu as king was an unplanned event that God commanded to happen in order to strike down King Ahab and to avenge the evil of Jezebel. By God's decree, this was a rushed, hurried event. The cloaks were spread over the bare steps of Jehu's house following his anointing as king. He comes out and all of his servants are shocked. 
They did not prepare for a new king. So you see what's happening with Jesus here in Matthew 21 occurred in 2 Kings chapter 9 as a foreshadowing of what was to come. The event was hurried. Here's what we see in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. This is as uh, uh, Jehu, who has now been anointed king, comes out of his house and he sees his servants. And they said, that is not true. Tell us now. And he said, thus and so he spoke to me saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu is king. It was a rushed event for the servants, but it was a planned event by our Lord. So the palm branches here, when we see as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the palm branches, they represent national pride. There would have been, there would have been a sign of national pride of Israel. And the cloaks, as they are laying down, the cloaks would represent submission to the king. Just as Jehu's servants did as well. Notice that both the disciples and the crowds, they both placed cloaks down before Jesus. The disciples did so upon the back of the donkey, the crowds upon the streets. This is laying down one's outer garment, showing submission to authority, respect to the king. How many of us would lay down our clothing, our very precious garment, a possession of ours that is of high worth? How many of us would place that down before our Savior, Jesus, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ? How many of us would do that? Or how many of us would challenge and question Jesus? Are you sure you want this, Jesus? You know, this is the only thing. This is my best coat. These folks didn't care. They honored the King They didn't realize they were honoring their salvation too. The Savior who would bring them salvation. They didn't quite get it at this moment, but it would come later. This was an act of submission before him. And we as Americans, let's just be honest, we are independent people. We are strong people, and it is hard for us to submit to authority. Do we submit to Jesus the way that these people do? That's what happened that day. Let's look here at verses 10 through 11. There's a second response to Jesus here. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And and the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The city was stirred up. I mean, let's just be honest, folks. We don't get very stirred up in our worship, do we? We're very proper. I mean, are we stirred up about the name of Christ? It's important here to point out that the final verses here, they describe the reaction of many in Jerusalem on that day. They had a disappointed expectation. Salvation had arrived and the people were not ready for it. And we see here that the whole city was stirred up and they all said, who is this? I mean, it was a big event. Unexpected preparation. Unexpected reaction. They were stirred up. I mean, this is the theme here. The theme of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem that day, he stirred up the crowds with his presence. I also argue that the theme of Jesus' arrival to all of us is the same thing. He comes when he comes. He calls us to salvation. When he calls us to salvation, our reaction is often to be stirred up. 
Are we stirred up at the idea of our salvation through our Lord? Are we stirred up at the fact that our, our sins are now forgiven and washed clean by the blood of our, or our Savior? Are we stirred up at that idea? Or are we just complacent? Well, boy, that's nice. You see the point here? There are those who, there are two different reactions here. There are those who are praising Jesus and then there are those who are just, who's this? The stirring up had two different reactions. You were stirred up to praise or you were stirred up to doubt. Either way, your normal routine was disrupted when Jesus comes on the scene. And, and these two people, they, they react to him. The, verse 9, those praising Jesus, they went before him and they followed him. They surrounded him. They seemed ready for the king. But perhaps they had a different expectation of the messianic king. Maybe many in that crowd, they were excited that, that a king was arriving, maybe for the wrong reasons, maybe for the right reasons. Perhaps many saw the truth of this salvation and they really understood what was happening. Others may have followed because of political gain. But in verse 10, those stirred up who asked, who is this? They were clearly in the city and they were unprepared for the king's arrival. Their normal routines were going on as it normally did day by day and week by week. They didn't have time to be stopping for a king. Their actions clearly were not humble. They may have had national pride because of the palm branches, but they were stirred up. After all, verse 11 tells us that they knew that Jesus came from Nazareth. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, if you remember back in John chapter 1, verses 45 through 46, what happens there? There was a question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what's happening here. And so as these crowds are saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. They're going scratching their heads going, what's the big deal? Now, Luke's account of this day. Now, remember I said that, that this account of the triumphal entry is in all four Gospels. Luke's account gives us a unique detail from the other Gospels that speak of the reaction of some of the Pharisees. Luke chapter 19 verses 37 through 40, shows us even more the emphasis of Jesus as king who brings peace between fallen men and their holy God. Here's what it says in verses 37 through 39 of Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and in glory in the highest, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. How many of us are just rocks? Jesus says that his very creation will cry out for him if we don't. Now, that's an echo of Scripture as well. In Psalm 98, verses 6 through 9, uh, our, our Lord actually, I mean, the psalmist actually speaks of, 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 of the, the rivers clapping and the sea roaring. Flip over there to Psalm 98. This is not enough, this is nothing new either. Jesus is just echoing the truth of his creation here. Psalm 98, verses 6 through 9. This is the, Biblical way of praising the Lord. Beginning at verse 6, With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise for the King, the Lord. Verse 7, 
Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Notice here in that language, verse 6, trumpets are blaring and joyful noise before the king. And not only do humans do this with trumpets and and their ways of creative uh, blessing, but all of creation, the seas roar as an act of praise. The rivers clap their hands. The hills sing joyfully together. See, all of all of God's creation will sing praises to Him. And what we forget as human beings is that we are part of God's creation. We are created. And we are expected to praise. And if we don't do it, Jesus says, you know what? The rocks will do it for you. <laughs> because that's how God has designed it all. Next time you're sitting by a, a, a creek and you and you hear the waters going through... Listen to that flow of water as clapping of the hands of God's creation. Are we able to do that? Because these Pharisees in Luke's account, Luke 19, they were very pious men. Jesus, you're making too much of a ruckus. You're coming into the city and you're destroying the peace and the serenity. Tell your people to be quiet. (laughs) And we do that as religious folks. When we get when we get new believers in Christ who are all excited about the gospel, boy, they're going to tell everybody and we temper their excitement, don't we? You see, salvation here has come. That's the important thing. And we're going to close with a couple of passages here in Zechariah and in Isaiah, and we'll wrap this up today. But the point is here that when salvation arrives, everything is stirred up. Salvation is not just a complacent event. It is something that... that necessitates and demands joyful praise. Would you agree? As we as we had a wonderful celebration of baptism last week, wasn't that an amazing day? Amen. We celebrated together. A, a new brother in Christ is here. Now, let's take a look here at, at, at a couple of passages, and we're going to close with this. Zechariah chapter 12. And if you're taking notes, just jot these down. But salvation is prophesied in the Old Testament, all leading to this day of arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, prophesied this, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. So there's Jerusalem mentioned in in this idea of salvation. Verse 8, On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So the idea here in Zechariah 12 is echoed here in Matthew 21, um, verse 8 and verse 9, when the people are singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Davidic covenant has been fulfilled. And then when we flip over to Isaiah chapter 62, the idea of salvation is also echoed there. Isaiah 62, verses 10 through 12. That's better. 
Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out a city not forsaken. So you see the significance here of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem as he brings salvation in. All of those who arrive will be stirred up upon uh, upon Jesus' calling. All of us, even today, will be stirred either to repentance or to shock and rejection. But Isaiah 62 verse 12 reminds us that those who Jesus calls to salvation will be a special people. That's what he's calling the city of Jerusalem, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem that, that are saved by the Lord is exactly the us today in the church. And, and this is those who are redeemed by the Savior and they shall be called what? The holy people. They will be called the redeemed of the Lord. They will be called the sought out, the city not forsaken. Folks, does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like Reformed doctrine? The say, the, those who are called out to salvation are a special people. They are the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. They are the ones that God Himself sought out. And those in Jerusalem that day who were singing praises to our Savior, welcoming Him in as the King, they were perhaps in their mind thinking of a political king, but ultimately it was the King of salvation that they were praising. And so when salvation comes, folks, it's not something to go to sleep over. It's something to be stirred up over. Amen? So the day of all days... Let's remember that. And this week, as we go through this week of, of uh, suffering and, and Christ's passion for us, let's remember that it is all for one thing and one thing alone. Ultimately, it's for God's glory alone, through His Son, Jesus Christ alone, for our salvation. Amen? Our sins are forgiven. They're atoned for. And that's worth singing praises about. Let's, let's pray. Father God Almighty, we praise you and we thank you. The passage in Matthew 21 today of, of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem is, is that reminder to us in your church that we are that called people, that special people that you call out, that you seek out, that you redeem for your glory and your purposes. And so God, we sing praises to our King who is our Savior today. And so God, many who, who maybe have heard hearing these words, who have heard your word spoken and read, Lord, they may not even know this Savior as a Savior. They may just know Jesus as a, as a familiar name of a good prophet. But Lord, he is so much more. And so God, I pray that this salvation that's come would be the salvation that stirs up the lost and the sinner. The salvation would continue to stir up your people, 
God cause us cause us to sing praises because we know that we do not save ourselves. Cause us to sing praises because we know that our sin has separated us from you and that our sin through the blood of your son Jesus has now been atoned and that is worth singing. But dear God, cause us to be submissive to that authority that you give to your son Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We submit to him. We let, we bow down to him. We take off our cloak. We sacrifice all that we hold dear and we submit the best that we have to you. God, I pray that you would cause this to be real in us. And this week as we prepare to worship next week and celebrate with joy our Savior's resurrection, cause us not to forget that there was a suffering and a death before that resurrection. And cause that to humble us, Lord. Lord, we need you. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.